0: of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We just asked the kids about it before. But what leads people to ask questions? Well, people want to know more. We we get that. But but what brings them even to that point? Is it not a little bit of knowledge? You kind of need to know something exists before you ask question about it, don't you? And so when someone does have a little bit of knowledge, it helps them realize, whoa, there's a lot more about this I don't know. And so then that leads to curiosity. And then that leads to questions. Maybe there's no one that knows that truth better than moms. Because children are a great example of this. I mean, they've got this new world all around them, so much they don't know. So they run to the one who knows it all, and who they know is going to answer. They bear with it, right? The endless chorus of, Mom, 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 why this? How that? What is that? And yet they answer and answer. On this Mother's Day, we thank God for the blessing of mothers who bring children from what they don't know, the unknown, to, to something known. Because kids would be lost without that. Kids would look at things in their, in their not knowing and say, oh, that glowing orange circle on the stove sure looks fun to touch. Or those Legos sure look delicious. Right? But thank God for moms and parents who can guide them. But even as we grow up, not knowing things can be dangerous. And guessing about things when we don't know about them is dangerous too. And it's especially dangerous when we think we know it, but really we don't. We need guidance, especially when it comes to spiritual things. And we see that on full display in the first reading this morning from Acts. We see these people from Athens who are lost. They don't know the true God, and so in their not knowing, they are going after all sorts of bad solutions. In fact, just before our text, Paul says, he would, where we hear that Paul is greatly distressed as he walks around and sees all these idols. And Greek history tells us that there were all sorts of gods and goddesses that they would have built these idols and statues and temples and altars to. But the problem was, how could they ever know they had enough? How could they ever know they knew them all? Or what they were supposed to do to make the divine happy? And then there was Paul, teaching them of something new, some new God they, they hadn't heard about before, a Jesus who rose from the dead. So that little bit of knowledge, it, it drove them to curiosity. And curiosity led them to ask questions. So they asked Paul to stand up in the Areopagus, which was this hill, the place where all the new ideas, or many new ideas were shared and, and judged. And then Paul begins his answer, and that's where our text begins today. People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. You see where Paul begins. He starts with what they know. Clearly they know there is a divine. All of their idols and altars spoke to that. But he also starts with what they don't know. Because they've built this altar to an unknown God. And it makes sense why that would happen. If you're thinking up gods for all these different things, they're always going to wonder if they have them all, if they're doing it right. And so, I mean, think of how the, these gods came to be. Maybe it was a war that went horribly wrong that made them think they must have upset some sort of god of war. Maybe it was a drought that made them think, there's some goddess, there must be of a harvest that that we've got to sacrifice to, that we've got to make happy. Maybe a lack of rain that led them to, to look for a god of the sky or a god of the sea. But when you're doing that, you wonder if you've got them all. And without the knowledge of the true God, we're always incomplete and looking for something more, and that's what we see. An unknown God. So Paul comes preaching the true God. The guidance that they needed, that we all need. He says, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. By God's grace, Paul knows the true God. He saw Jesus with his own eyes. The proof that there is a true God. And so... He starts with what they know, that there must be something more. And he tells them about this God that they don't know. The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. I mean, come on, people of Athens. What makes you think the divine would need something from you? If you're the creation, if you're from God, what, what could you bring to God? They should have known this. And The true God, he, he made everything and made you. What could we give him? But before we're so quick to judge these we should see that Paul's sermon that day could absolutely be preached right to us. Shame in it. Because we're not heathens. We're not unbelievers like they were. We have the knowledge of God. But yet, often we live like he's unknown and ignorant of the very thing we worship. We often live very religiously for the sake of being very religious. As if God can somehow be pleased and appeased by what we do for him. We gather around to be religious. We're here at church gathering around the altar, around the cross. We start to think maybe we appease God by being here. Maybe this makes him very happy by the way we serve, by the way that we, by how often we read his Bible. And those things are good. Yes, they are. But it's not about those actions in and of themselves. That is not what appeases God, what pleases God. And when we start to think it's about those things, then we are ignorant of the very God we worship. And that's kind of what the people of Athens were doing, right? They they built this unknown God, and they thought he was probably going to be like all the other ones. That they needed to make sure they, they made him happy by what they did, by building this altar for him. So at least now they've got that. And this is where our natural knowledge, our our natural wisdom wants to go. Thinking just like these people, that we need to just appease God. We need to do just the right things, um, do the right motions and steps, and then we'll be good with him. But how easy it is to forget what Paul preached that day. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So if he's not served by human hands and God gives us everything, then how do we respond? Well, if we just go with our wisdom, we might again end up at the same place they were. That when something happens in the world or in our lives, we start to think, must be our fault. We, we must have done something wrong. We, we've got we've to start being right. We've got to start serving God better. We've got to start praying harder and more. That must be what it is. But God's wisdom, the knowledge he reveals to us, is something far better. Paul goes on. From one man... He made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God has marked our appointed times. God has set our boundaries We don't need to look around at our lives, at our nation, or this world, at how it might be declining, how how Christianity seems to go in the back seat sometimes. We don't need to look at that and think, oh, what what do I got to do to fix this? It must be my fault. It must be our fault. No, God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. God does not allow what he allows in our lives and the world so that we look further into ourselves for a solution, but that we seek him, that we go to him for his solutions, for his knowledge that he reveals to us. For he is not far off as so many think. For in him we live and move and have our being, Paul says. And in fact, that was what there. The people of Athens, the Greeks, that was what their poets said. Paul uses them, he says, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Paul uses their own poets because they recognize that there's something more. There is a divine, and we must be from the divine. In a similar way, we today see the kind of acknowledgement of God still. Whether believer or unbeliever, we hear God's name on people's lips when they say, Oh my God, or on God when they when they swear, or for heaven's sake, or that was written in the stars. There's just this sense that there's something more. And so God, or so Paul played into that for the Athenians. But then when, when a tragedy strikes, or you start to think there's something more, well, look, look at how what happens in our lives and in our world when a tragedy strikes. There's a sudden explosion of public prayer, prayers and prayers and prayers, as if it all depends on our prayers. And that's where our wisdom wants to go, that it all depends on us doing right. And then things would be okay. Then God would be happy. So we make out God to be what we want, and as if we can impress him or make him into what we want by our design. By our skill. But hear what Paul preaches. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. There it is. The unknown made known. How God would have us react to all the things he allows, to this knowledge of him, this recognition that he exists. Repentance. And what is repentance? It's not making it all about what we do or how we're serving God, but it's making him all about what he did. It's recognizing that what we, could, what we do could never live up to what the infinite and perfect God demands. And so we go to him. We look at what he did. We look at how he perfected us. How he did the thing that our reason and knowledge could never assume. The true God became man to live and to die for us. And so God's great wisdom is only something that we can learn from him or learn from those he's placed in our lives because otherwise we'd always think it depends on us. And so I hope that your conclusion this morning isn't that, oh, nice, Vicar said that. It doesn't really matter if I go to church. It doesn't matter that that I'm here. I guess I can come a little bit less. No. We want to be here. Because we recognize that this wisdom, this knowledge that God gives us is so different from where our minds often want to go. We come here because we get the good news that it doesn't depend on us and our serving and our sacrificing that always seems to come up short. But it depends on Him. On what He does and what He did. We come here to seek the only wisdom and knowledge that matters. God's that Christ died and rose for us. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. How comforting is it to know that the one whom God appointed to judge is the same one who came to save us who gave up his power for a time to die for us, to rise for us, to make God's love known to us. And his resurrection proves that he is the God we want to know, that he is the true God. And so we see that this is the greatest knowledge of all and God has let us know it. Which leads us to just one other way We could react still this morning. Let God use you to make the unknown known. Don't look at the world like we might often be tempted and say, oh, it's just so lost and and so despicable and falling away. But no, see what Peter taught you in our second reading. Give an answer with gentleness and respect for your hope. Or like Paul, who had that Christ-like attitude that even though they were insulting him, calling him some babbler, he simply gave an answer. He simply shared what God made known to him. Because after all, would we know any of this if it weren't for how God appointed our times, for the things he put into our lives, for the people he, sh- he put in our lives to share it? Maybe a mother. And that kind of brings us full circle, doesn't it? How amazing it is when a mother brings a child from the unknown to the known. And how blessed it is when this is the knowledge she brings to that child. And how many of us sitting here today had a mother who affected us with that same knowledge, who taught it. And so now we get to go be a blessing to others too. To let the unknown become known. The the knowledge that brings us so much joy, so much peace. That it isn't about us, but about him. To know that God put just the right people and times, whether joy or hardship, whether a friend or a mother, so that we would seek him while he may be found. So that we could know it's not about what we've done or how we're living but that it's what Jesus said in our gospel. Because I live, you also will live. So look at the knowledge we can thank God that we have. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. And thank God for that knowledge. In Christ, amen. We stand now to confess our faith together by using the words of the Apostles' Creed printed on page 12.